Gaming and BS episode 286 being recorded Monday, March 23rd, 2020! Welcome to Gaming and BS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. Hope everybody's healthy and well and uh, dealing out there. Yeah. It's tough, man. Yeah, crazy times, right? So, Sean, I'm going to ask you, do you know anybody right now who is infected with the virus? I do not know of anybody personally. I am one person removed. One of my coworkers' husbands has it. That's uh, dodging a bullet. Yeah. And it was like, oh, I haven't seen this particular person in quite some time, uh, traveling vacations and stuff. And person then like her husband hadn't traveled much at all. Like been anywhere crazy, hadn't less estate. Yeah. There you go. It's, uh, it's, it's gonna, this is going to be one of those things where it's a matter of time before someone, you know, you're going to know somebody who's directly impacted by this. It's going to happen. I saw a mathematical model that said it's doubling every three days. I don't think is too entirely off the mark. This is why I was an English major. Never tell me the odds. Yeah. But, you know, we want to bring a little levity to the current world situation. But nonetheless, you just before we hit the air, Brett, you mentioned um, you're going to run for your home group online this weekend, right? Yeah, there's a bunch of us. My home crew. um Dave's wife has immunity issues. Um, JR has had some serious health problems. Um, my buddy Alpha's wife is a nurse. Um, <laughs> there's there's a lot of people that are like connected and have problems or so on. My oldest daughter works at the VA in town here in Madison. She's a nurse. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good reasons not to not to get together and mingle it up right now, especially when you know fuck it, we can get online. We were talking with uh, a couple, um, a couple of our buddies about, hey, you know, maybe we just need to get on and hang out, do a do a Skype, drink a beer virtually together, and just bullshit for an hour. Might be worth, might be worth doing. So I think that and a Netflix party is in order. So uh, I I own a digital copy of Hawk the Slayer. Hawk I just got I got to stream it on my screen and share it out. That's what I got to do. Well, <laughs> and I'll get in trouble oh, for sharing the film. That's one way to do things. Uh, Netflix Party uses Chrome. It's a Chrome plugin, and you can create a virtual. So once you lo- launch Netflix, and then you can, through that extension, I think create an invite, and then it brings everybody into a chat room. Oh, okay. So you're streaming the movie in real time, and then on the right hand side is a chat. Just yeah, so I was thinking maybe doing Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or something goofy. There's some fun stuff out there, man. And just let it run, and people can come in and make. I I want to do it. We could do MST3K on they did the the return and stuff. Right, something to that effect, but it has to be like role playing game, like everything referenced no, I'm in the MST3K chat. MST3K on Netflix. If you sure. really, if you want to be like. If you want to be oh, meta, sure, yeah. if you want to be right. meta about the meta, we could like MST3K and MST3K show. Yeah, we could do that. Anyway. But I, that, that's something I wanted. I would say they're going to put on the Gary Con site or just put it out to to the to the gang and the BSers on the forums or Discord. 
But uh, we'll do something. We'll get something uh, on the calendar where for a couple hours or something. I got time this weekend. Yeah, what else am I this gonna weekend. Do? <laughs> I've got some games. I got uh Let's see, I'm playing in Paul Wolf's Labyrinth Lord two-hour session, and then I have. Let me know how that goes. I've been interested in Labyrinth Lord as a yeah. uh, as a retro clone. I started eyeballing it. Like, ah, oh, do I? Don't I? Do I? Don't I? So let me know what you think about it. That's on a Saturday, I think, and then Saturday. That's virtual Gary Con. That's virtual Gary Con. I, as far as I know, there were still slots open for that particular two hours. As he's running tournament style, so um, on roll twenty. I'm in on that. I posted it on the forums because uh, we only had like two people join. Um, let's see. Jim was another one that was joined up. And then Saturday at 8, I'm in Hobbs's game, whatever. I can't remember what the title of it is, but he runs typically BX. So 8 to like noon. I think that's a four-hour game he's running. And then Forrest, and those both are through Gary Con virtual tabletop. And then on... I think Thursday, like at 3 o'clock, Forrester Gary's going to run Delta Green. Yeah, baby. Nice. Um, So I think that's all I have really set. So somewhere, I think, on the virtual con, I was thinking about scheduling something like a a watch party or even just a lounge. Just set up like a hangout, and people could just click the link whenever they're not playing, and they could come in and bop out and bop in and... Yeah, do you do whatever? You do whatever you want, man. Honestly, know. it's a free for all. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see uh, if we if we put that out there. Obviously, it's time based. So if you listen to this in a week uh, or not live, you're pro. You might miss it. I'm gonna try to get the episode out tomorrow, Tuesday the 24th. But nonetheless, hope everybody's doing well. We did a, a check in on the forums, making sure everybody's doing all right and everybody's going through their own challenges. So don't be afraid to. Reach out to somebody you know and say, hey, man, I got a problem or feeling down or whatever it is. Let people know what's going on with you. All yeah, right. A lot to cover. So, so let's, let's move get on, into man. announcements. Yeah. Any announcements? The survey's still up. Uh, it's going to be up for another week. Um, so yeah, get out there. Take a look. Sign in. Yeah. Sign in. Give us some feedback if you haven't already. For those of you that have, thank you very much. Um, already talked about Virtual Gary Khan. Virtual Gary Con we mentioned, yeah. I think let's go into Random Encounter. Yeah, baby. Random Encounter, segment of the show where we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media. I got a lot this week. You want to start, Brett? You want me to start? Short, I'll start. First one's so, short. Yeah. yeah, Charlie emailed us about his ideal game group. He says, in my ideal game group is six Jeffs that are completely wired on caffeine and fired up about politics. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, baby. I think Charlie is either insane or able to tell, or or able to uh, do. He's got some super super superhero quality. (laughs) Man, careful what you wish for. Exactly. And I'm telling you, one Jeff's enough. You get six, dude. It's a lot. They all got to play paladins too. Right. All right, man. Over to you. All right, so Frank writes in about innovations in RPGs. I love the episode about games catching up with technology. I've been very interested in how to use technology to make gaming at the tabletop easier and more exciting. Way back in 2015, I was experimenting uh, with the multimedia and interactive capabilities of Adobe Acrobat. 
Uh, v programming is actually very easy. Anyone who publishes PDFs with layers should know how to quickly and easily create an interactive PDF. I find it a little surprising still that not too many publishers and designers take advantage of this media. But then again, maybe it's not so shocking since many publishers still don't include digital bookmarks in their PDFs. Attached is a proof of concept that I created in 2015. It's only a small three-room, one-page dungeon, and it only shows a fraction of what is possible. But I think it still shows where we can go with this medium. I think you may have inspired me to look into this idea once again. Thanks, Frank. Cool. I don't know. Um, I have to double check and see the link that Frank included. So. Okay. But yeah, that's uh. No, it's good stuff, man. I think sometimes we'll talk about something or we'll we'll bandy it about, and sometimes if the best thing it comes, a creative person like Frank or any of our listeners can say, "Hey, you know what? I think I could do something with that. I think I could make my stuff more user friendly." You don't always have to wait for the other person to do it, right? So if you've got an idea to make your gaming material easier, like if you're writing your own adventures and your cribbing notes and stuff, you got some skill in that. Hey, why not, man? All right, thank you, Frank. Good stuff. Let's see, Edwin Nagy, who does some work from Frog God Games, emails us about innovation. He says, yo, I suspect this episode was just a ploy to get all the publishers to send you free copies and cool shit that we're doing. <laughs> you know, you know, if that if that was, that was true, we probably would have put more thought into the episode. Damn it. This link, um, he's got in the lower in the comment, is Death and Taxes from 2016 and a clickable map and back buttons. It was a pain in the ass, time consuming, and probably the only probably only the right answer for a small percentage of a small market. RPGs have so many varieties and making a chassis for general use is going to be a tough one. Even trying to do relatively simple seeming innovation is like selling an adventure through Roll20. Oh, excuse me, like selling an adventure through Roll20 is a challenging is challenging once you step outside the narrow confines of a traditionally presented dungeon delve. Think about the DCC maps and how they took and how they work on a virtual tabletop. We have the same issue. So, as a quick aside, if you look at some of uh, Doug Kovacs' maps and some of the cool, like, they're not, it's almost like a um, quasi-three-dimensional type of look that they'll do with them. They're not like a regular flattened-out map. I get what he's saying. Edwin continues with, for fancy PDFs, as you know, there are many platforms on the market that is so small that we'd really be looking at is making a custom book for each customer. Each just selling digital copies for virtual tabletops. We get lots of customers asking if we can just change this one thing so it fits their particular style of play, and we tend to do it. It'll happen. Video game companies have figured out how to release games on 17 different platforms. Eventually, we may gain access to those tools as well. Side note, I just finished the episode and heard the die roll for the Midderlands. We've revamped the Kickstarter page, and Glenn created a free Midderlands taster. We've got a link in the show notes here um, so that we can share that one out. So thank you, Edwin cool stuff yeah, yeah you know i we tried to mention it on when we talked about it it's not going to be easy to do this stuff and i'm not it's kind of i get what you're saying edwin because it's a niche within a niche you know and having a one size fits all i get it i absolutely do get it there are things though that you talked about like you said with the death and taxes from 2016 a clickable map and with de- decent back buttons i think in my opinion that's table stakes there's no reason it shouldn't have that. Um, maybe a pain in the ass and time-consuming, but it feels like the right thing to do, um, at least in, in my opinion. Now, that's, again, it's not my money I'm spending <laughs> how to develop it or how to do that. 
but it feels like that type of thing when it comes to PDFs should be table stakes. It just should be a thing that you happen that that you have. That sh- that could be a standard. I think one way for companies to develop a standard is like Frog God um, to say all of our PDFs have these features. Boom. And whatever those features are, you may be like, oh yeah, but I want this. Sorry, we only have these extra five features in our PDFs or whatever the case is. That might be that's that's a way to go about it. Right well, or wrong, don't know. And I'm not and I'm not head of Frog God game, so I'm not sitting down with those dudes right now and yakking at them, but it's an idea. You can always have two PDFs. You can have one, hey, here's a PDF. It's not marked up. There's no bookmarks, there's no hyperlinks. We're just done through it. It's basically just a scan, just a very it's fancy scan. Four bucks, five bucks, whatever. Here's the enhanced PDF. Define whatever that is. Ten bucks. Ten bucks. Let the market choose what they want. Yep. Call it a day. If if you could do that, if you have the knowledge and it, it doesn't cost you anything. And if there's a cost, try to make it up on on the price. Like I'm totally fair with it. I'm totally down with that. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, if a if an enhanced PDF had those features, clickable maps forward and backwards, they said, look, this PDF can't be four bucks. It's got to be. It's got to be eight, ten. Fuck yeah, I'll pay that. That wouldn't yeah. bother me at all. If it's got those features to it. Next. All right, Corey, man of war, emails us about innovations in RPGs. Greetings, gents of gesticulating BS. Just listened to the episode number 284 and thought I'd offer some feedback the email way. First of all, sorry not to see both of both soon due to the uh, malignant pest, pestilence affecting what we do based on its spread. Stay healthy. Oh, excuse me. First of all, part two. Addressing Brett's monster manual multiple book thingy. I'd recommend getting some of the Gale Force 9 monster cards for 5e. So you could just pull the, out the cards you'll use so you don't need to have the books open. While the card was it while the cards aren't perfect, they do an excellent job and they do cover all CR ratings now, as well as spilling over to additional books like Volo's Guide and I think some even feature the adventure books. The cards are helpful for me since I don't run 5e regularly, but they do speed up what I'm looking for. Not much prep, just grab cards and go. I like that rather than flipping from book or electronic device, etc. The cards are there, and I just vary up the monster stats on the fly if needed to make them feel more individualistic if multiples of the same monster are used. I don't know. I'm going to do a quick aside, Sean. I do not know why, but I'm not a fan of cards. I'm not. The dudes at my table... For playing five E spell cards, this card, that card, they got cards all over the fucking play. I don't like them. I don't know why. I think I got to try it. I think I, I think there's one of those cases where I need to take it, implement it. Much like saying, I don't know if I like music in my RPGs. I need to try it to see if it actually would do what Corey's saying. Because I don't doubt Corey. He's a he's a sharp dude. I've gamed with him before. He's a smart man, and I think it's worth a shot. Instead of whatever my distaste for them is, which I can't even put my finger on, I think it's worth trying. So that's a good idea, Corey. Um, I use cards for Star Wars FFG, and I saw a method I think I got off of Reddit. And the reason they come in really handy is if you get, like, Stormtroopers, their stats change depending on the amount of Stormtroopers you have. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, if you are really good and you can do it on the fly, you could just look at it and go, okay, it's, I have five stormtroopers, so instead of one green and three yellow, I now have three green and five yellow. Okay, great. 
right? For my weapon yeah, yeah. skills. If you if you know, however, that scales. If you put them in us in a uh, card protector, mm-hmm. a guy used dots, green and yellow dots. So the first row would be two stormtroopers. Second row, three stormtroopers. Ah, okay, okay. Third row. So if you just count down, okay, five stormtroopers, because as they get nailed down and whittled down, their stats change. Okay, got it. So it really Neat. is cool. Yeah, it helps. And the cards for the FFG Star Wars is really helpful in that regard, especially that little system that guy came up with. But anyways. Andy, keep going. Uh, let's see. Where am I? Second of all, part one, addressing Sean's issues. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> I'm not a licensed professional, so I can't... Oh, wait. Wrong issues. (laughs) He, 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 Mr. Wynn. Kidding aside, Sean, are you looking for a strictly digitally enhanced type of gameplay? If it's just that, I can't help you. I think you are describing a cutting-edge type of thing that not many designers have incorporated into games, books, slash adventure modules yet due to costs or perhaps time involved to make said product. Time is money, and I suspect some game designers have jobs and do this as a secondary income. However, that innovation you described is probably on the way. Fair enough. Yes, kind of, sort of, yeah. I get it. And, you know, with Old School DM, having mentioned this, we should it should have been a very clear, like, if we had money coming out of our ears and it was no object... What we, what would, how would we like to see RPGs evolve into? Like, what does that look like with no costs, um, issues or anything like that? And mm-hmm. that's some of the take I should have taken. Anyways, that's right. keep going. Second of all, part two, you both brought up tactile experience too, as in narrow left the tap suitcase or whatever. Having said that, there is a game I've backed Kickstarters for and received products from for maybe eight to nine years now with one more with rewards coming soon before the next Kickstarter launches. That game is Shadows of Esterin. Esterin, hmm. I think is how most Esterin? people pronounce it. Oh, yes, okay. I believe it's a French game originally translated into English. It's supposed to be amazing. I've not read or played it. But it's supposed to be good. Anyway, carry on. It's kind of unique in its presentation. I went all out for the Kickstarter they've done. I have books, art file handouts, tiles, music slash soundscapes in both CD and MP3 and other audio formats, the coinage, and even a cookbook to use real-life ingredients to replicate meals in the setting. You can't get minis, props, etc. It all depends. You can get minis, props, etc. It all depends on what level you wish to back it. If you just got the core book universe it begins in a way unlike any other any other rpg book i've seen in that it is about detailing setting mood anecdotes etc then in the later portion of the book when you know what you're getting into it goes into character generation if you only bought the book or pdf i could see how this would be more of the same as you described but with food options maps tiles props sounds coins minis and more a graphic novel as well as orchestra concert is coming soon alongside various other things. It's quite the immersive setting. Whoa. Yeah, it's intense. I remember when I, I saw it at Gen Con, I picked up a free like, intro little booklet that they had at the time. God, this is a long time ago. I was like, huh, this looks really cool. But the thing that drew me away from it was I wasn't sure if I could get my group to play it, which is probably the thing that should have stopped me from getting it on. 
Invisible Sun, by the way. Anyway, yeah. but I think this is, um, I'm really glad Corey brought this up because in my copious spare time now that I can't leave the house, I might have to look back into this. Karen, continue on, Sean. Continue on. Uh, let's see. Uh, alongside various other things, it's quite the immersive setting. In the end, it's what you pay for. I paid more for the higher level of stuff with Asterin, but wow, there is a lot of stuff. They've been doing this since 2011 or 2012, so if someone strips out an individual element of what I've described, one could say that element is done already and not an innovation. But as a comprehensive whole, I haven't seen anything like this. They even have themed boxes and blank journals ready for that note taker slash artist of the PC group who wants to use that stuff. Best part, all maps, tiles, room sheets, game aids, tactile elements not only are in their own physical folder separate from the main book, they are also available as electronic PDFs, etc. So you don't even have to use the physical rewards if you don't want to. Just use the digital ones or print off what you want and queue up the MP3s or whatever you wish. The game is described as Game of Thrones meets Cthulhu meets Ravenloft. Hmm. It will be a while before I can run a game of Shadows of Esterin due to my existing Hyperborea campaign, but I sure would like to play in one right in one right away and run one in the future. Oh, and the art is fantastic and evokes a great mood. Uh, just throwing that game out there in case you never heard of it. Hail and kill Mr. Man of War, Corey. Cool. I'm glad he brought it up, Corey, because I had forgotten about Asterin. I just did a quick check on drive through There's a, if not everything, there's 17 different things out there at least. All the stuff he's talking about, <clears throat> the different, the universe book, the travels, occult, uh, all sorts of good stuff. Cool. We'll put a, we'll cool. Put a link in the die roll for people yeah, to check it out. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. All right, cool, cool, cool. All right, what do we got next? So you got to say, you got to say Dirtless, a.k.a. Dan. That's how I say his name. Dirtless, a.k.a. Dan, emails us about sound and innovation in RPGs. Hey, BS, let's talk about audio in RPGs. This will flow over a bit into innovations. Alexia, tell tabletop audio play Dungeon 1. Sean, if you don't, you don't even have to push a button. Alexa, play Star Wars soundtrack. Everyone starts to sit at the table. Da, 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 da. Yeah, you, you get the deal. And to F with the party. <laughs> Alexia, play Big Bad Monsters, kills the PC playlist. I like background audio. I think it helps set the mood. I don't even have to get up or push a button to get it started. So I'm really hoping somebody out there has this playing loud in their living room and their Alexa kicks in. Which is what uh, Joe Swick and um, Wayne and I did when we went to Sean's place. We tried to get his Alexa to set alarms for like 3 a.m. because we're a pack of dicks. That's what we are. Anyway, he continues. Fancy Grounds, just about everything you said about maps on has just about everything you said about maps. Online, it works great. Click the peg on the map and share with the party, and they see the trap. I have some videos of people using a TV to reveal the, the Fantasy Grounds map to the party. Haven't tried it, but I'll be looking into it. I use a Samsung tablet for adventures. I'd like to have a map out for players to look at and use. I like maps. Dan. You know, Dan, there's something really cool. I'm My buddy Alpha and Nick in their game rooms in their basement. They have TVs on the wall that we can Bluetooth in and, you know, if I've got a map, I throw it up on the, on the monitor basically so everybody can see it. A big flat screen. And, or we'll play a video in a Bluetooth surround system or blah, 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 blah. Cause we're at that point where we buy crap like that for a hobby. If fantasy grounds, if some of those have really cool map tools like that, it would be really interesting to use an online fantasy ground scenario 
to enhance your tabletop gameplay, right? Even if you're just doing theater of the mind or whatever, that could be kind of cool. Huh. I like this theory. I like this, Dan. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Dan, man. Over to you, sir. All right. Blake Ryan. So emails us about gaming online. Good day, fellas. Interesting times, eh? Regarding online gaming, most of my games these days are online, which, just like face-to-face gaming, has its ups and downs. Some of the ups are you don't have to worry about weather or traffic. You just sit at a table with your PC and go for it. You don't have to invest in a ton of software. Google Hangouts is free, and Skype is part of Microsoft Office. You can even use a small whiteboard, draw stuff, and hold it up to the camera if you want. Yes, sometimes the audio or production is not perfect, but meh, you do what you can. For these worried about tech glitches, you do a test run with each player first. One done, you shouldn't have to do it again. Once done, you shouldn't have to do it again. And if you do, then it's easier because you've already done it. I play and run games through Gauntlet RPG Group. Had a few sessions with folks in Germany, England, Israel, and myself in Australia, which is pretty freaking amazing. Okay, I'll see you. He said fucking amazing. Yeah, I don't, I don't want you to. Jesus Christ, watch your Sorry, I don't want you to censor Blake. Uh, in short, it's not as hard as some people make out and definitely worth the effort. Take care of yourselves, fellas. Regards, Blake. Yeah, I think yeah. One, of, one of the things I talked to my, my home group about for running online with them is I said, guys, I'm going to make this as dirt simple as possible. Yes, there are tools and tricks and Roll20 this or Fantasy Grounds that and, and, and Tailspire and all this other stuff out there that you could try, but we can also keep it really dirt simple and just do a simple hangout with a whiteboard or I could do a screen share. We could just try it. Did we like this? Boy, it sure would be cool, Brett, if we could move the figs on the screen. Ding. All right, let's use this aspect of something. It's almost like using a whole new, um, whole new game system, right? You're going to work your way into it. And there's no reason you do not have to go from zero to 60 in 2.2 seconds. You can take your time and master it as a group. Pretty cool. Nice. Thank you, Blake. Yeah. Thanks for everybody for writing. And thanks, Blake, man. Yeah. Well, we always, have, we always get good feedback, man. That's yeah, good stuff. Great, great feedback. Uh, let's get into the main topic. Let's do that. All right. All right. So one thing I want to full disclaimer, I didn't we posted the topic out there and a lot of people had already chimed in. I just didn't have time to port it all over into the to the episode. Oh. So if you want to reference it, Brett, I can send you the link. You might but, have to. Well, you're well, going to have to reference it. So we well, talked about yeah. here, what we want to talk about. Sky on Discord had, had mentioned, hey, you know, making count. Don't make encounters about combat, you know. What's our thought about that? And we I talked about this a little bit last time when we talked about what's coming next. And the idea is whether you're designing an encounter, writing an encounter, thinking of something as an encounter, oftentimes, at least for those of us who play D&D, we think encounter, we think swords, fighting, smash, smash, kill, blood, you know. And I don't know. We put a lot of time into designing those encounters. And I'm honestly I haven't had a chance to check the um, to check the forum stuff, Sean. So I apologize um, so if there's some good pieces in there, please let, let's let's jump over there. But my my take on this is one well, if you want to have good non-combat encounters, if you spend I'm just gonna make up a number, if you spend 10 minutes plotting a really cool goblin fight encounter, spending the same 10 minutes to plot out the um, the verbal encounter, the hey, this is what's gonna happen when we 
talk to um, when they talk to the king, or this is what will happen when they talk to the space king, or whatever that whatever that must be. Hey, the encounter of the Jedi Council. These are some points that will be made, so on and so forth. You know, how are you going to organizing that and com- and getting yourself together, if you will, so you can effectively run that encounter is just as important as in Sean's earlier example with the undead minotaurs and mazes and 15 different things happening at once. Social encounters, anything that's non-combat related, quite frankly, can be fairly complex. And you shouldn't assume that you're just going to blow by that stuff if you really want to make it meaty and have some feel to it. So, Sean, do we have something cool from the other stuff that we should be talking about that I well, there was Well, there was a few that had commented and elaborated uh, quite a bit in the forums. I sent you a link in Cool, thank you. Chat. Um, w- I know Joe mentioned Joswick. He said something, no matter what encounter I want to give my players as they travel, I always make the players roll a d20. It makes them think that something good or bad could be happening when really either way it could be both depending on how the conversation between the PCs and the NPCs they meet. For example, they were traveling down the road, rolled a 10 on a d20. They encountered two guys with a long pole and skinned animals hanging from it. They passed by each other and ended up buying meats from them. The encounter did generate one of my favorite couple of lines recently, which he says, NPC, hey, you want to buy anything? Gestures at the meats. PC, how much for that pole? (laughs) (laughs) I I want the pole. I don't want the food. I love it. Builder's Horde threw one out there as well. When I build encounters that may have particular slant towards battle or non-battle, um, but players will always have a way of switching it around 50% of the time. So when I build any encounter, I don't presume too much. I really never know which way the players will go in my group. So I just build encounters and direct the consequences or rewards from there. Which is a damn good point, quite frankly, because you could say, hey, this is going to be cool. They're going to meet the Jedi Council. This will be great. And that... One player decides to go, I am a Shadow Sith Lord, Blah, and he attacks Yoda. You're like, really? Really? That's, that's what you do? Um, so craziness can ensue at any given point. All right, who's up next in there? Eric Salzweedle said, I believe the straightforward answer is yes, you should have multiple types of encounters that allow the party to exercise their array of skills. Each archetype is going to excel in various areas. It is also important to know what your players want. Maybe they want more investigative slash role-playing, or perhaps they just want to see how high they can pile up orc corpses. It can also be fun to give the fighter types a technical challenge where a big-to-hit bonus and lots of DMG isn't useful. This could be on pur- excuse me. This could be on purpose or a happy accident. A more recent session I ran was interesting because they left the smarter character outside to protect their transport while they sent the two toughs in to in an abandoned fuel depot to see if they could get the fuel transfer system back up to fuel their spaceship. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Whoops. So there's a cool theme. Cool theme going here. And then we go and I'm saying it because Laramie Wald comes in with, I agree. Don't make combat encounters. Don't make non-combat encounters. Make situations and see what happens. Which, of course, Eric says, this is wisdom. Yes, allow for different success paths. If the characters want to sneak around the ogre, give them a chance. If they want to offer the halfling or or bard a snack or or payment for passage, see how that goes. So I think what I'm, and this is really cool because this adds back into my earlier comment, right? You want to put some time into stuff. And if you look at, I think it helps to even set my my initial comment maybe a little bit to to the side to a point is that like look if you're sitting down making non-combat encounter like, I really want this thing to be a excuse me a big social event 
You need to put some time and thought into it. But as we just heard, be prepared <laughs> for it to devolve into a combat. Uh, just as, as much as you should, quite frankly, flip that script and say, be prepared for this combat to, quote unquote, devolve into a social encounter. If you think about it in the old school days, people would, I remember reading, I can't remember if this was in the Red Box or a couple other sec sections of GMing advice or player advice that say, hey, if players are fleeing, they would, the game masters, the authors, excuse me, of these books would often put, it might be a good idea to throw money behind you to see if you could stop the monster. This monster is foolish. If you drop food, they might stop for it, right? I distinctly remember playing as a kid, being chased by trolls, and we're running, and the DM's like, Eric, our DM's like, oh, you're going to get killed. They're catching you. They're longer-legged. Oh, my God, they're coming up on you. And somebody, I can't remember if it was Jason, one of the guys goes, do we have any food? We're like, yeah, we throw all of our food. And it threw Eric for a loop. He's like, okay, the trolls were just hungry anyway. They stop and start scarfing up all your iron rations and your, your wine, and you guys escape. Thank God. Because we're second level. We're going to get our asses handed to us by this pack of six trolls, right? So that it went from a combat encounter to a think on your feet, how do I avoid a combat encounter, right? Just as much as those times when the players go to talk to the NPCs, the NPC says something a little sassy, and one of the players cuts his head off. <laughs> you know, And the next thing you know, you're in a brawl with the guards type of thing. So I, um, I really like all that feedback on the, on the encounter piece. Because what I think this does is it puts a finer point on my earlier statement is that whatever type of time you're spending, don't focus on just one piece. So I want to amend my earlier comment. I think this is a, is don't focus on only combat. Don't focus on only this other thing, because I think what that does for you as a game master is it locks your brain in. This is how this is solved. John. Well, yes, I agree. And I think what, game masters should do and i think a lot do whether they do it purposefully or inadvertently is create problems for the player characters and then allow them to come up with the solutions so if we start stop kind of stop ourselves and say oh this is definitely going to be a combat encounter unless mm -hmm. there's a written dialogue of ambush or wandering monster or yeah, whatever the dragon is. is swooping to fucking it's coming down to kill you Right. This monster is going to kill you. Right. right. Yeah, that's a combat encounter. You could you could definitely etch that in stone. Oh yeah, because um, as a game master, you can force combat. Right. These goblins will fight to the death. These wraiths will not leave the room, but you're the undead are not to talk. Right. In this case, you know whatever. But oftentimes, I think the players have to, and the party has to engage with different individuals to to obtain knowledge whether that's call cthulhu they got to go to the library or they mm. need to seek a third party that has knowledge of x or y and the party doesn't that's going to be in an encounter that's the way we need to look at it so how do you position that encounter what are the motivations of the person you know the npc and what are the motivations of the player characters and then how do you negotiate those in some games, it's very easy. You, as a game master, adjudicate it. Like the OSR, right? You're not going to do a lot of, well, give me a diplomacy check or whatever. It's going to be- Library skill roll. Although I could argue that the original Call of Cthulhu is very osr -y. But anyway, carry on. But it's going to be a matter of, does the argument that they, or the approach that the party takes make sense? Would it feasibly 
change the mind of the NPC to kind of relinquish the information or point mm. them in the right direction, right? Where in some of the modern games, more modern games, they're going to be based on, well, if the party is successful at diplomacy, then the they move the attitude of the NPC up, in a down, positive, yeah, yep. up, down, a positive or negative approach, um, which is fine. And that's how you adjudicate. However you adjudicate it, the point of my tirade here is to say, hey, when do you think they're going to to run into something where they're going to reach out to a third party, that's going to be an encounter. And then how do you see that encounter taking place? Yeah, I think what's, well, you were saying that this hit me as I'm thinking, listening to you and thinking about what all the other guys have just said, there is a, there's a thing that's kind of perhaps a metagamey thing, perhaps a coaching, a pushing thing that is game masters or as players, if you're on the other side of the screen, you can do this. When you are running into a, you bump into X, whatever that X encounter is. And sometimes in a Call of Cthulhu, for example, my players will be like, okay, we need to go and get some data. I'm like, well, okay, so are you looking to use like library skill to try to baffle a librarian with your bullshits you can get in the stacks? Are you trying to use bribery because you're going to slip her some cash? Or maybe you just want to like fast talk her. What do you think of how you guys want to approach it? Or maybe something totally different. And what I just said is damn near an exact quote of, or a, a really good example of how I do that in game. Because what I'm trying to do is coach the crew to say, these are some things you can do. I know these characters, I oftentimes say, Sean, I mean, you're the face, you could do the fast talk thing, or Wayne, you've got, you know, you've got plenty of cash, you could pull bribery, or, you know... Joe or Eileen, you guys have got the library skill checks. I mean, you got you guys have, you, you could attack it. How do you guys want to go about this? You want to team up? What do you want to do? And by setting the scene for, and when you're asking the players how you want to deal with the thing and giving them X number of options, you're planting seeds in their heads of really good ways to do something. Or sometimes you can be goofy and say, do you want to do this? Or you could just punch the librarian in the face. You could draw a gun and threaten her. Do you want to do that? You want to do intimidation? Was, oh, for God's sakes, why would you intimidate a librarian? Right, you moron, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, that'd be funny. Yeah, pull a gun on her, ha, ha. But you can do the same thing with your combat encounter. You come around the corner, you describe the kobolds, piling something up, or they're trying to, they're arguing amongst each other, trying to drag this heavy chest. They see you, they brandish their weapons, they snarl and bark at you in their kobold language. They don't hear speak kobold. Yeah, okay, give me a quick language check if that's the skill or whatever all right they say oh my god who are you back off don't touch our chest i through doing that and giving more information someone in the party's like oh they didn't say attack and kill the kobolds with their spears and their bows said back off don't touch our chest this is ours they are not interested in a fight those words are not come any closer we'll skewer you or Get them kill the earthlings, earthlings, kill the kill the surface dwellers, right? Or the Martians don't say kill the earthlings. Whatever the case is, the words you're using to describe different things can take a, an encounter, and I think help push it towards combat or away from combat, or towards a discussion, or away from a discussion. Does this make sense, Sean? It does make sense. And I think as players, on the flip side, if I'm describing something. If I describe the kobolds and they're barking, yipping, they've got their spears and their bows out and they look all threatening. And Sean looks at me and says, well, I speak kobold. What are they saying? Oh, 
says Brett. Sean's interested in doing something besides just stabbing them. As a player, Sean is asking me, is there, what other data do we have? Because I don't know if I'm supposed to fight or if I'm supposed to bargain. Or maybe there's data to be had here. Because God knows why you're in this ancient dwarven fortress anyway. Perhaps there's a, well, I say, I will not touch your chest. I will give you 10, I will give you more gold if you tell us where, you know, Thrandor the Mighty was buried. Or whatever the fuck it is you're actually looking for. I mean, all that's possible. But I think as players, as you ask questions about whatever scenario is described to you, and Game Masters, if the way you describe it and set the scene is very helpful. The other piece, my buddy uh, Alpha is really good at this, is he likes to play with a grid. So we always have the minis out. We're always going. He sets the minis down, tactically places everything. Us plus the bad guys or the NPCs, whatever it is, regardless of if it's going to be a fight or not. And he does that because if the minis only come out when the DM's going to fight, we all, all right, start rolling for initiative. Minis are out. Initiative time. And again, it's the it's the signals you're sending. And I think that when you're looking at that encounter, you're spending your time on it. What signals are you are you putting out? Because you're like, boy, this would be a really good good time for them to talk to the Jedi Council. Well, if you set it up at the when they went to go see the Jedi Council, all the characters were stripped of their arms and armor. They were they were um, uh, escorted by surly you know guards. Um, they one of them was cuffed upside the head and said, "You will speak with reverence to the Jedi Masters." You know, if they were roughly and poorly treated, this is going to change the the direction. Right, how you're setting that stage can help a lot to help the players, I should say, to understand that there's more than one option. On the flip side, too, sometimes you're like, there is only one option. You're around the corner, the kobolds see you, roll for initiative. What? What? No, they see you and they engage immediately in combat. They start flinging arrows and charging. Really? Yeah, they don't even. No briarch, no nothing. They're just going. All right, I guess it's initiative. You can force a combat. As well. So, sorry, I'm kind of hitting terminal repeat here, but I, I, I like this idea. Sean, what are you thinking? Well, and I, I don't think it's, I don't think there's much to this, honestly. I don't, you know, I don't look at it and go, oh my God, this is so confusing. I don't know how to. But it's a habit, though. Yeah. Think about it. If you run D&D, let's, I'll just pick on, or you run, I, I don't know, so fucking, whatever, you run Star Wars. If every time, the stormtroopers show up. It's a blaster fight. If every time the NPCs show up, you only put the figs down when it's a combat. And the only way, you know, you know what I'm saying? If you're trying to, if you're forcing certain things to happen, D&D just happens to be a really good example, in my opinion, of this thing. If every time they encounter goblins, it's always roll for initiative and the goblins fight to the death. We've talked about that before, too. Not all animals or creatures intelligent, especially, fight to the death. Sometimes they, they give, they beg for a quarter, they try to run away. They scream, oh, my God, I got to go get help, or whatever it is that they're doing. I think sometimes this is just a habit. It's a muscle that we need to either stop exercising or, you know, refocus. Does that make sense? Yes. Deep sigh. Okay. Yeah, See, that makes sense. I just... I mean, I don't know how many people are plotting out non-combat encounters. My buddy you know. Nick does. Yeah, I think there are people that do it. There's oh, I know no for, question. I, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying. I know he spends a lot of time on them. And every encounter he has, if he has, has an encounter um, with NPCs or if it's with bad guys or a fight or not a fight, he puts a shit ton of energy into figuring them out. Well, and I think it depends on the game you're playing, too, if how some games are incentivized by combat and gold. Does that play a part or play a role with how encounters are going to roll? Well, I think as, um, who was it, Eric Saltzbeetle said, uh, you know, if <laughs> if some people are not wanting to investigate a role play and they just want to see how, how high they can pile up the orc corpses, if your group is there to kick ass, take names, and count, you know, crom count the dead, okay, it's totally fine having every encounter in this dungeon be a combat encounter. And there's no reason that you have to get... There's nothing wrong with purposely building an encounter for one thing or another. But I guess the wisdom here is making sure that you understand that the players may not want to fight or may try to find out a different way you know, the trolls are there. They try to apply them with food. But I do create. I do heroes feast. I can create enough food for six hundred men. Oh my god! Blam! Look at that. I bet the, I bet the uh, werebore that's been chained up and starving will probably eat that. And leave us alone. So players will do creative weird things to avoid a, a fracas, and also creative weird things to avoid a discussion sometimes. So how do you handle Brett when it's a like a more social based encounter? Right. There's a you have a non-player character, certain motivations, doesn't want to give up the information. Maybe it's after a combat and it becomes social because the party's going to interrogate him or oh, it's yeah. going to find research or whatever that is. Do you do you have the player characters kind of pitch their deal and go, oh, based on their pitch? Yeah, OK, I could see how that's going to sway this person to give up the information. Or do you go to mechanics? How do you adjudicate it? So, ah, I get to pull a Sean. It depends. And here's where it depends. Oh, I know. So sometimes, even the same group, you could be playing with the same group of men and women. And in one game, Eileen, Jen, Joe, and, and Sean have got this wired. And they're like, hey, they always give me a really good pitch. This is how we're going to do this. This is how we're going to do that. And sometimes people are stymied. And they're like... You know, I don't, they're like, uh, I need to get data out of them. I don't know what to do. And they're, they're sending you all the signals of Game Master. Please give me a clue. Uh, how can I do this? I know I can. I don't know what to do. And in that case, then I fall more onto mechanics because the players don't know how they want to pitch it. So I go, well, you could try an intimidation role and go right to mechanics. If they have a really good pitch, I'll say, you know, I like that. It sounds like. What you're trying to do is intimidate the person. Is that true? Well, yeah, good. Because that's a great pitch. I'm going to give you advantage on that pitch roll. Oh, cool. Yeah. Give it in with, in, with, with that. If they come in kind of, uh, I don't know what to do. Unless they've got inspiration of their own to burn. I'm not giving them advantage. I'm not going to give them an inspiration point. Because uh, to be blunt, they're not bringing anything to the table. They're calling the mulligan. They're throwing in something and saying, you know, tag in partner, game master, give me a hand here. Now, if I'm playing Cypher system or something, I may, may say, hey, I'll give you a hint if you give me an intrusion or there's other tools with mechanisms. If this, uh, tools and mechanisms, games with mechanisms. Uh, if I were Savage Rules guy, I could be like, 
I know exactly what you ought to do. Give me three bennies. I'll tell you. Wow. Uh, uh, fuck. Really? Three yeah. bennies. Damn. Yeah, it's, it's three bennies. Or, hey, it's two or it's one or whatever the case is. And sometimes in a game like that, if you up the ante from a chip's perspective, say, look, I'll tell you, but it's going to really cost you. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah, dude. I got the answer. I'm giving you the game master answer. You give me three bennies. Oh, all right. Here you go. Slot, slot, slot. Ah, oh, we should have thought of that on our own. Well, next time, maybe you're smarter. Click, click, click. Can I put them in my pile? Or in Star Wars, you've got later dark side. And I could see Sean, especially you as the game master there, saying, look, guys, you know, you could go this direction. But if you want to do that, it's going to cost you a light side point to do that. You know, I could you give me a light side point. I'll give you I'll give you a really solid clue. All right. Fuck it. We're 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 stuck. Give me that. So anyway, if it's presented really well using D&D 5e, um, I would give advantage or maybe, hey, that's really good. Give yourself an inspiration die for later or whatever the case is or an inspiration point. Um, if it's not a D&D thing, I'll give you plus three in that roll. I'll give you a plus 10%. I'll give a bonus of some kind to that person. Or maybe if it's a really kick-ass idea, chuck them a Benny. That's fucking awesome. You just earned yourself a Benny, kid. But if they come with nothing... Well, they're shocked and dismayed and they don't know what to do, then my adjudication is I'll help you, but it's gonna you gotta give me something back. Either it's just a flat straight die roll. Hey, good luck, kids. It's it's either win lose win lose or draw on this one. Or I might have to take something from you. Does that make sense? Yes. So how do you do it, John? Similar or different? Do you well, and it's not that my way is better, it's just the way I do it. It's gonna be based on the game. Yeah. I mean if I played BX or you know, old school essentials. It's going to be, well, is their argument make sense? Is there, are they convincing? Um, it, it's going to be based on the situation because that's a very player focused system, I think. Where if it's a fantasy fight games or if it's going to be. Oh, so if you don't have, if the game system is, if it doesn't have a skill system, if it doesn't have mechanics, tools, mechanisms within it to facilitate. I get where you're going. I get what you're saying. I mean, I can manipulate the mechanics enough to give them an advantage or give them a boon so that what they're trying to achieve, they have a higher chance of achieving what they're trying to accomplish. Um. Because I think some of those games, that's what it's about, right? You, yeah. you want to oh, burn absolutely. light side and dark side, and there's this ebb and flow between those two, especially yeah, I mean, when— this is a perfect in yeah. Savage Worlds or something like that with some with an internal economy. You want to keep those points right. flowing, man. Yeah. Those chips have got to be moving on the table. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, non-combat non -combat encounters, I don't know if I've ever mapped them out and they just happen to occur. But I think it's it's whenever and I <laughs> this is going to sound really stupid, but it's actually some of these encounters where I know I think they're always going to go to blows and then they don't. Yeah. Oh, All right. you're walking through the woods, there's something ahead of you. Okay, I go up and scout. Oh, there's a person and their tiger, you know, walking through the jungle of Chult. Ooh. Hey there. Uh, what are you doing? Who are you? Greetings, comrade. We seem yeah. to be wandering in the same direction. Yeah. Safety in numbers. And then it's kind of, 
all right, where is this going to go? Is this, is this all hell going to break loose? Or I think if, if you're one of those game masters who wants to have a little, if you're not happy doing that type of thing off the cuff, if that freaks you out and you are right to be freaked out, if that does, there's not, this is not bad. This is not saying you're weak or that you don't know what you're doing. If you're like, look, man, when that shit happens, I start sweating. I don't like it. Oh, my God. I got to take a break because I don't know everybody's fucking motivation. I just thought it was going to be a fight. If you want to, give yourself like a three bullet point for every combat encounter. Will they fight to the death? Will they talk? Can they be bribed or bought in some way? If you do that, or maybe even a fourth one is like potentially friendly type of thing. You, you Think of four quick pieces like that that you believe would help you. And quite frankly, I think those would help. Possible friendly. Can they be bribed, bought? Will they give information for, for something? You know, do they fight to the death? That type of stuff. If you can give yourself a couple quick bullet points, you don't have to have a huge fucking background on the lady and her pet tiger walking through the jungles of Cholt or the dude carrying the baby through the jungles of Cholt. You don't have to have a huge background on that. You know. Well, true. So that one argument would be like Mo would say is that if you don't, if you only go by the player without the mechanics, then you could punish a shire player. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right? ab- absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why I think if I go back to what I said kind of at the beginning, when I try to give ideas and say, hey, how do you guys, when you can see the players, oh, geez, oh, uh, you look at that shire player and you say, you know, Kevin, and Kevin's not a shy player by any stretch. But let's say Kevin was shy. I would say, Kev, you have the X skill. You're really, really good at it. That's kind of how you build your character. This would be a perfect time for you to implement that. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I'll do that. And you as Game Master can kind of help pull that out of some people. And if you have a non-comp or any kind of encounter, if you've built it in like kind of the, as they do in 5e and other ones, like a successful diplomacy check would get you something, a successful skill check if there is... If there is a skill check. Another one, I, I guess it's kind of almost a, how do I say this? It's a, um, what are the conditions for a non-combat, non-combat to occur? <laughs> or what are the conditions for a fight to occur? You know, and some of this is like, you know what? There's no two ways around it. The goblins are here to fucking fight and you can't talk your way out of it. They're just going to attack you. Sure, you can have a unpleasant back and forth where they insult your mother and throw feces at you. But eventually you're going to get stabbed with arrows unless you do something. You can well, totally I got- do that. So I've got another scenario we haven't tackled. What's that, man? The room. The room. What do you mean, the room? You walk into a room. It's got a tiled floor. There's a mural on the sides of the walls. Is the the room dusty? Does it look moldy? Is the mold kind of yellowish and cast? There's a smell. Yeah, it smells like burn, burning. Something's like cinders. That's not good. Back out of the room. Back out Back out of the room. Back out of the room. All right. Close the door. Close go to the, the next one. So we got no, no, no. Hang on, hang on. So no exposed, <laughs> no exposed flames, guys. Let's let's go. Who's got who's got a light spell? Okay, light spell. We're gonna go in light spell. Can we do like a cast light on? Is there like a bed in there? What's in the room? Shit, we don't fucking know. Open the door. Yeah. The first thing we see, we're gonna cast light on it. So it illuminate the room, but the floor. Just a magical light. Right. Just the floor. There's nothing. Else. <laughs> God damn. Okay. How about I mean, the first thing you see? <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I. I but that's an encounter, man. That's it like totally there's is. no, there's no. Is there anybody in there? No, you don't hear anything. Okay, what do I see? You don't see any being in the room. But now it's 
now it's got its own thing. It's got well, its own it, take properties. It out of, take it out of the dungeon. Your your guys are going on a shadow run. You broke into something corp, and right. you're in the office. And you open the door. It's a bathroom. Okay. Stall doors are shut? Eh, one of them is. <laughs> Shit. Crap. Fuck. What do we do? Okay. <laughs> you can, I, I have literally played Shadowrun where people spent 10 minutes investigating a bathroom that was empty. And then finally, the game master looked at it and goes, it is two in the goddamn morning. The office has been closed. No one's in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's move on. <laughs> Maybe they're looking for a place to stash something. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, no, you're right. That's that's interesting. And room, the rooms are fun, especially in dungeons. Eh, shit, hell, in a Shadowrun or even in a Star Wars game, you're looking around, looking for something. What's in this room? What's this? What's that? You know, what do these controls do? What do those controls do? It says Garbage Smasher on the detention level. Neat. I wonder if I'll need to know that later on, perhaps. You know, because the room is can. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Well, maybe you wouldn't be surprised. If you played long enough, you, you're you going to see somebody attack the room. They're going to attack the bed. They're going to try to lay waste to the room in some way. Light the floor, cover it in oil, throw lanterns in there, smash it up because Sean said it had mold in it. And I think that's yellow mold or yellow musk creeper zombies. Oh, fuck it. Burn the room down. <laughs> Somebody's going to light the room on fire. Players will take something that's supposed to be just kind of look around and there's a plus two ring of protection underneath the pillow and they'll burn the goddamn room down. Some of them will do that. So there, you could take your normal non-combat room with a cute little bit of magic in it and some asshole will burn it. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah, but there's like, oh, you're out in the jungle. You're in the city street. You're in the library. You're... In Castle Ravenloft, you're in the dungeon, and then you're each room, you know, you're even in uh, Tomb of Annihilation, you come to temples, right? So yeah. then in the temple, you go down a passageway and it, you describe it. So it's kind of a, it's an encounter for sure, but there's no people. There may be a trap. There may not be a trap. Some of that, though, comes down to theme, right? If you've been running Tomb of Annihilation... And they've got chessboard traps on the floor and tests of intelligence. And they got Yuan T jumping out of them and zombies. And I'm making up shit because I've not played that adventure. But if every goddamn place they've gone into has tried to eat them, when they finally find the broom closet, they're a little wary. They're a little sketchy, a little, yeah. ner a little nervous. Well, that's a theme of that adventure. And that's another component to this is when you're designing encounters, perhaps we think about the theme the story you're trying to tell or help the party tell, because you're not really telling the, I mean, you all you're telling the story together, but think thematically, what are we talking about here? If this is a shadow run or a Star Wars game or a DD dungeon crawl, is it a dungeon crawl through a lost dwarven mine where there's not much there? Is every room a death trap? Is it supposed to be a death trap? Have they encountered anything where it's been fine? Because then the players have something to lean back on. And they can say, you know what? This could be another empty bedchamber. We've encountered five of these already in this abandoned castle. It could simply be another one. We'll do another cursory look through, and we'll continue on because we know the vampire's in here somewhere. And then they move on. And yeah, they didn't find the plus two ring of protection under the pillow, or the healing potion, or the potion of sunlight, or dragon's breath, or whatever they, they didn't find. Fine. 
but the you know what I'm saying from th- from a thematic perspective, I think that helps. I like looking, encounters with, like you don't get it. I like encounters with multiple parties. Multiple parties. Multiple parties involved. So you get the party, you get the enemy, you get the enemy of the enemy, and you get them all into one room. And it's like and, and the room a- itself doesn't <laughs> want them there. The room has trappers and ropers and, yeah, all sorts of crazy shit. Yeah, that's what it needs. Complicated to no end. See Complicated. what, happens. See what <laughs> happens. Yes, and random teleporting squares on the floor that no one can tell. Yes. That shift on a D8 roll. So I think I honestly, uh, so let me think about this. So I, th- I like the idea of a theme. So thinking thematically about the adventure itself or that evening stuff, what's going on at this dungeon is every room a death trap. Um, it, it, have, has anybody encountered anything nice? Do all, as, does every NPC that your players encounter is actually a black hag or an anise hag that tries to kill them is every time that they've ever encountered Anybody, they try to fucking murder him. I had a guy I used to play with ages back. Um, and every dungeon he made, it was a murder dungeon. He's like, oh, you could role play your way through this. I'm like, the fuck you can, Johnny. Every time you're in this thing, you try everything tries to kill you. Well, that's not true. The fuck it isn't. We opened one door. There was a gnome, a little fucking yard gnome with a red cone hat. Well, yeah, but that I'm like, we tried to talk to it. It ate half the party. It was like fucking brutal, man. What do you mean we don't role play our way through this, you jerk? It's not how that works. So I think part of it, like I said, it's it's a muscle that if you're used to wailing the crap out of your party or you're used to every encounter turning into, like I said, turning into a fight or everything has to be, you know, fights don't work and you're going to get your, you know, thematic uh, discourse across no matter what, you know, you got to you got to vary it up, man. There you gotta, go. Gotta, gotta break the habit because we've all got them. Got to break that habit. If you want to split, if you want to split the, if you want to split up your types of encounters, you need to break the habit. Not every encounter, only not every, excuse me, not every encounter only has one way to solve it. What I would like to hear, what I would like to hear from BSers is a one paragraph encounter, as complicated as it can be. (laughs) (laughs) For what? For what game? What setting? Man, I don't even care. How many things can you have happening at one time? A 10 by 10 room with a chest in the middle of it. No. No? Boring? Boring. Oh, you want more than that. You want more. All right, fine, fine, fine. Like like Mo says, rotating room, two parties in the room, checkered floor. One one of them is a doppelganger dragon. (laughs) What Um, could possibly happen? There's an invisible undead beholder and a mind flare. (laughs) <laughs> I have to put put some uh, guidelines into place. Like Maybe. Limited monsters, like only two monsters. Only 10 monsters per room. Yeah. Something like that. One thing I've always wanted, to, and I mentioned this on a show a long time ago, was synergy. Like, I want to know an encounter where you could, like, really take it from, like, a CR5 in D&D to, like, a CR10 just by, like, it would be like putting a blue dragon in a room with a bunch of flesh columns. Okay. Because the flesh golems, they regenerate or they get uh, like with lightning, right? Oh, yes. I remember, well, back in the old days, first edition, a shambling mound, if you hit it with lightning, it grew bigger. Yeah. So a buddy of mine was a druid. He he he, he made Bert the shambling mountain because you would call lightning on it. 
They make it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. This is back in the days when we were young and really, really dumb. But yeah, so you've got a blue dragon living outside uh, near a shambling, near a couple of shambling mountains. There we go. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, cool, man. No, I like I like this idea. I think the I think the wisdom here that we're trying to lay out is some of the cool stuff that our listeners threw at us here is, you know, build an encounter. If it helps you when you're building it, get yourself a couple bullet points of what happens if it turns combat? What happens if it's not? If you have an encounter, you're like, look, this is a goddamn fight. There's no two ways around it. Totally fine. I think the other component is if you have a habit of all encounters tend to be one or the other. Your players are probably queued in on that. If every time you put the minis down, it's always a fight. Your players are queuing in on this because we're all very Pavlovian in our ways. We're, we're get, getting in our ruts. If you're describing things and you're describing them with only one course of action, as we talked about, um, this just helps you break your habits. You know, describing it when the kobolds don't necessarily want to fight right away. Are they in a defensive posture versus an attacking posture? All that good stuff. And helping to coach your players when you want to elicit a different result from them. Don't be afraid to be a little extra meta and say, hey, Sean, remember how you and Ange were like the language people? Yeah, remember the you, you both were talking earlier about how you speak kobold while the kobolds are talking? Oh, yeah, we should probably see what the hell they're saying. You know, that stuff is there. So anyway, this was cool. I like this. Sweet. Well, let's wrap this sucker up and get into die roll, yo. Yeah, let's do it. All right, die roll. 2d4 miscellaneous. Points we want to bring to you. First one, Tabletop Tango. Tabletop Tango. It's a YouTube channel headed up by Carl, a.k.a. a Savage Worlds GM on your on our forums, uh, and Eric. Dedicated to deep dives on tabletop RPG topics. Uh, they've got about a dozen vids up for your viewing pleasure. So check them out. Uh, top Secret New World Order by TSR is free PDF on drive-thru while we are all confined. So Oh, nice. Thanks, thanks for TSR for doing that. Check that out. Jason Elliott's the brains behind the TSR that put that out there. So if you're interested in checking Top Mr. Secret New World Mr. Order. Mr. Carpio. And Mr. James Carpio. Not Not Caprio. Caprio. Carpio. Not Capri. Carpio, yep. But good. I mean, TSR's good people, and Carpio's a good dude. Talk Chad Parrish from Chad Dead Parrish. Game Society yep. did a, an adventure for him. So. Yeah, we love these guys. Yeah. Check this shit out. Uh, third one, Sleeve into Altered Carbon, the role-playing game. Article on Nerdist. We'll have a link to the article on Nerdist. And then they had a successful, successfully funded Kickstarter. Um, so if you're into Cyberpunk and Altered Carbon, I think Season 2 is out now. And I think they got renewed for Season 3. So yeah, Season 2 is out. I've yet to watch. That's one of the things I'm going to do while in isolation. Um, this is almost... Beyond cyberpunk, into I mean, because you're talking about moving from body, you know, consciousness moving, and it's it's pretty pretty hardcore science, or well, uh, I don't know if it's science, science, but science fiction, bigger science fiction. Yeah, cool. Uh, fourth one, Chris Perkins. So if you don't know who Chris Perkins in Perkins is, he's one of the infamous dungeon masters of D&D &D and member of the Watsi crew. Mm -hmm. He reads the DMG 
on Twitter, <laughs> and people are taking to it on Twitter. Uh, I have a link to the hashtag DNDRNR. And I think it's just people picking out a passage. And he reads it. And he reads it, but I didn't hear the audio, so I don't know if he's reading it like Shakespeare. Well, sir, speaking of, Sir Patrick Stewart is reading a sonnet a day. That's why. That's what they're doing. Yeah. He goes, if Sir Patrick can read it, read Shakespeare, then we can read the DMG. So, well, yeah, but I'll, I'll tell you, if you if you like Shakespeare and you like Sir Patrick Stewart, you you listen to that because he's he's just fucking amazing. I love that guy. Anyway, yeah. carry on. So check that out. Contribute to the hashtag. Uh, and then we'll have a link to the Asterian role-playing game that Corey Wynn mentioned in Vertical. Random Encounter. All right. But I think that's about it for this show, motor scooters. Sweet. What are we talking about next week, Brett? Because we're trapped here. I'm thinking, I think I still got the spare microphone. I might grab one of my kids. Uh-oh. Because we've been talking about having the kids on the show to talk about gaming, what they like, and, and so on. And we've talked a lot about kids and gaming and so forth, so I thought I've, they're trapped here. I'm trapped here. I'm their dad. They don't have any choice. I'm going to make them get on the microphones, maybe. So we could do that, but um, i got a couple other things in the hopper, but I'll, I'm going to run those by you outside of here, Sean. So Kitties on the show. Yeah. Hard to be explicit with kids on the show. That would be awesome. They're my, <laughs> they're, they're my kids, dude. That's true. They've, they, they know how their dad talks. <laughs> Do as I say, not as I do. Or... No, no. Use, 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 um, use certain words in certain occasions. Don't use them when they're not appropriate. Wait. Oh, so when they roll like a one, they can they put the proverbial Damn fuck it. out there. Oh. Yeah. Okay. AJ's thirteen, so he'll let the occasional when it's like he and I are outside <laughs> shooting bows or something. Miss fuck. He'll look at me. Sorry, Dad. I'm like, just, just not all the time, dude. Calm down. <laughs> yeah. All righty then. Well, hey, I want to thank Digital Hobbit, Joe C, Laramie Wall, Mumphrey999, Old School DM, Dirtless, a.k.a. Dan, uh, and Tabletop Bellhop for all joining us on Discord and Twitch this evening. Sweet. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Otherwise, this has been an episode of Gaming and BSI. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Graham Minert, Corey Wynn, Michael Dinos, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Aaron Raylia, Corey Welch, Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValley, Jason Hobbs, Guy, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Niall Diamond, Howard Bishop, Eric Zalzweedle, The Closet Gamer, Jeff Goad, Ari Otis, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Old Scouser Roleplaying, Jared Rasher, Andy Hall, David F. Baylog, Harrigan, Melissa Bashinsky, Brian Rumble, Henry Newcomb, Eric Talvola, Hus Carl, Roger Brasset, Mark Soam, Andy Olson, Eric Avia, Ron Blessing, Jeff Seifert, Ghost GM, Mike Hess Jr., Angus, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Rory Weston, Curtis Hinson, Jim Ingram, Kurt Dirtilis, a.k.a. Dan, Chad Gleiman, Finolf, Josh Wallace, Merkel Froelich, and Rich Wishon. Hey, do us a favor. If you've liked what you've heard on this show, go tell somebody about it. Have them subscribe or give us a listen. Head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash subscribe. Thanks, BSers! 
This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.